Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website, and hey, you got a question? Not only can you go to Clark.com slash ask, but you can get free off-the-air advice nine hours each weekday. It's a service of the Clark Howard Show for the last nearly 25 years. And you can see how to get the free off-the-air advice, what hours it's available, about halfway down the front screen of Clark.com. And talking with a member of Team Clark for free, I hope that you find that to be priceless. And I get so many compliments from people who have taken the opportunity to get advice and guidance from a member of Team Clark. Coming up in 20 minutes, I have some guidance for you When you go to your first day on a new job, there's something that could happen that might make you want to walk out the door on that very first day. And coming up in a half hour, there's a new strategy I want to share with you for you to be able to build credit when you're trying to build credit from scratch or repair your credit. And it's very intriguing. I want to talk right now about a way that we cost ourselves money. More and more, we can use apps on our phone or go to a website or in a restaurant, use a little kiosk on the table, and without realizing it, talk ourselves into spending more money. One of our staffers on Clark.com was telling a story about being at a restaurant where they had one of the tabletop tablets, and it suggests all kinds of things like desserts, getting another cocktail, whatever. And what was fascinating that she realized was she was spending more money than she normally had going to that restaurant. That being able just to say, yeah, 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 before she knew it, she'd run up her tab. I was ordering pizza for a group of my daughter's friends who were over at our house for a get-together, and I was on the website of a local pizzeria, and whoever had designed their software, it was amazing how subtly and continually... It kept making suggestions to get me to spend more money. And I knew they were running a special. I had to go to a special place there that I guess only price-sensitive people, well, like me, take the time to get to. And I just want you to know that this is going on where you have the added convenience of the apps, the smarter web ordering sites, the devices on the restaurant table, the kiosks appearing at fast food restaurants all over the country. And so in each of these cases, you are being, well, manipulated 
to sell yourself up. And it's up to you to be aware of that and not have someone run up a bigger bill on you. That someone being yourself. Dave is with us. And Dave, someone's presented you with a money-saving opportunity. You want to run by me. How are you? I'm great, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Good afternoon. So what is it somebody's pitching to you? Not company name, but what is it that they do? Well, it's a multi-level marketing company, uh, pretty uh, progressive and aggressive on the Internet. Um, they presented the idea to me through church, so I guess they just joined it. And uh, my understanding, there's two tiers of membership, and they start up costs between $850, I believe, up to $2,195. And this firm, uh, my understanding is they offer different types of discounts through goods and services on the Internet. Okay, I am very familiar with this organization. Now I also have the name of them. Okay. And Dave, don't walk away, <laughs> run away. Okay, Clark. I, I am so surprised that this organization, that all I can call at this point is it's a terrible deal because okay. there have been no prosecutions of them. No one has mm. alleged that what they're doing is criminal or illegal. Okay. But mm. I would allege clearly... This one is not a multi-level. This one is a version of a pyramid. Let me tell you the distinction with the difference. Okay. The fees to join this are enormous. You're talking about big money to buy in. And the reason they tell you that you should buy in at the much higher level is that then you'll get much more money being a member. But if you look at the way the system is set up, as I understand it, The money is all earned from you once you're in, not buying stuff, not getting things on sale or at a discount or whatever, but instead you turning around and recruiting other people to pay $850 or over $2,000 from which you earn commissions. And then anybody you recruit in, when they get other people to pay the $850 or the $2,200, they get commissions from them, and then you get downline commissions and on like that. I I see it as what potentially could be an illegal game of chance. Wow. Okay. Have you signed up already? No, sir. No, sir. I truthfully suspected that it was just a uh, pyramid scheme in in sheep's clothing. So uh, I wanted to ask your advice because I trust you and uh, I know that you're well-equipped and versed with things. But Dave, I will tell you, it's been around for a long time. And you may wonder, why am I not naming them after I've talked all that smack about them? Yes. Because if I name them, I would not be able to be as clear with you about my feeling about them. But other people will know just based on what I said. If they're hearing a pitch, they'll know what to look out for. Because the key, the absolute key pivot with any multi-level marketing organization is, do they have a product or service that is Mm -hmm. where the real emphasis is are there things that people are spending their money on that the people selling it have the commission incentive to sell products or services or is it all about selling your entry into the organization and this one flunks because Mm -hmm. everything really is all about buying your way into the organization so you can then get a stream of income from other people buying into the organization, and on and on. And ultimately, what happens in that scenario? Ultimately, they collapse of their own weight. 
Dane is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? Oh, good. So you are a fantastic saver. Is that true? All because of you, Clark. No, all because of you. <laughs> yeah. So share with your fellow listener what you're doing as a max saver or super saver. Well, first I'd like to give a shout out to my wife because we couldn't be in this position without her. And um, I make a salary of about $80,000. I'm a land surveyor. My wife and I have managed to become completely debt-free. That means loans, credit cards, cars, our home, everything. I max out my employer 401k, and I max out all our Roths. And we have about, I'd say, close to $250,000 in savings. So you have a lot of people listening to you right now who are like, all right, what's this? What's the real deal? How could you do all that? How could you own your home free and clear, live a completely debt-free existence, have massive amounts of money saved, fully funding 401ks and Roths? What is your secret? Is it the six winning numbers in a lottery? No, it's not. Um, I've had very good training from my parents and my wife from her parents. We do receive approximately $10,000 every year from her parents as a gift from an inheritance. So we definitely are blessed with that and take credit for everything. But um, all of the rest of it is just us watching our dollars, trying to enjoy things in life that don't require a lot of money. You know, I just recently bought a new vehicle with cash, and um, but I drove a clunker Nissan Frontier for um, 11 years that I bought for four thousand dollars and i enjoyed every year of it you know it was it was sad to see the thing go but i don't know it's just become part of our lives and um i get more enjoyment out of saving money than i do spending it and i feel like i have a very fun life you know well i i think that is so impressive and recently i talked on the show about how a huge percent of people who make seventy five thousand or more a year are flat out completely broke and one in four people who make more than a hundred thousand dollars a year are completely broke yeah i've heard that episode and you're right so you want people to know i don't want to put words in your mouth but you want people to know that it's just about how you handle money that makes the difference at the end of the day yep every little dollar really does matter it's like exercise you know just a little bit every day it ends up paying off and uh, it's just, it needs to become a lifestyle, not something that you go on, kind of like a diet, you know? So is it time for me to retire and this to become the Dane Show? <laughs> well, it's your advice that helps us get there. You know, m- my wife's constantly scheming and getting credit card offers and getting the benefits from it and canceling the card or gaining a uh, access to a bank account. They give you the $400 cash and then you... Uh, you, you cancel the bank account. She's constantly doing little things like that. I joke that my wife makes more money than me, and she's a stay-at-home mom. So, um, How many kids do you have? I have one. One little daughter, and um, she's because two years old. I'm so glad you mentioned that part, because a lot of people also listening would automatically checkmark in their brain, oh, they have no kids. Of course yeah. they can save all that money. Right. But you are paying to have a child and children although they're phenomenal and the greatest thing in our lives they aren't free no 
She's not. <laughs> Are there any things that I can answer for you now? Or yeah, the reason I contacted you is we made our last mortgage payment about two weeks ago. That means we have an extra approximately $1,000 a month to um, invest. Other than loading up my savings account more, I don't really know what to do with it. Well, I love dollar cost averaging into investments where you would be a perfect dollar cost averager putting in $1,000 each month. Because the U.S. stock market, where a lot of your money is going into in the 401k and your Roth, U.S. stock market's really potentially overvalued right now. And at some point, right. is going to come out of the stratosphere back to Earth, and it lands with a thud when that happens. But if you're putting money in every month, you're dollar-cost averaging, meaning that if there is a big decline in values – Every month you're buying more shares, and you're in this for the long haul, not for next week. Correct. So I think just putting money into investments is perfect. You'll just build an enormous pile of cash and wealth over time, knowing that in the short term, if the world falls apart for a while, the value of your account will fall apart, but you just keep going forward, keep adding to it, and over time the recovery comes and your value of your accounts rise, too. Exactly. Yeah, so, I, I was buying a lot of stocks when market was low. And that is, it's hard to do. A lot of people felt like, particularly in 7, 8, and 9, that the end of the world was coming, or that the end of the world had come. And they panicked out. And the people who just kept their target in mind and kept putting money in like clockwork have scored huge Big time. Good for you and your wife for creating such freedom for yourselves with how you live your lives. Today's Clark Rageous moment is about something that has bugged me for a long, long time and has gotten so much more hideous, and that's covenants not to compete. You know what that means? I'm about to tell you. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. Seems everywhere I turn lately in papers I read all across America, I'm seeing story after story about these ugly, ugly court cases involving covenants not to compete. And this is happening even with people like pizza delivery people hairdressers i mean profession after profession job after job and here's the ugliest thing in states that permit these stinking things is that you could be laid off because the company's not doing well and still be prohibited from going to work for someone else who does anything anything like what you've been doing how insane is that historically states that don't allow covenants not to compete end up with faster job growth and higher overall wages typically than states that have these mean-spirited ugly covenants not to compete there is a huge difference between being pro-capitalism and pro-business. Pro-business is crony capitalism, where 
legislators in a state listen to the people who line their pockets and support their campaign fundraisers. If you're pro-capitalism, you want to have a free and open market. That's completely different than the dirty dealing that goes on where you and I get stabbed in the back as employees or as consumers. I want you to know that if you show up the first day on a job and it's the first time you've ever heard that there's going to be a covenant not to compete, you have to sign to work there, know that that level of dishonesty, that stabbing you in the back is so clear that what else are they going to do dirty to you if you go to work there? If you can at all handle it financially, I would tell you at that point, you say, thanks, but I'm not taking a job here. I cannot sign a covenant not to compete. Have a great life. And you go out the door. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy. Really? They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry washer and dryer pair. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is where you go to find the latest deals to stretch every dollar. There is a question I've gotten over the years that has always been so difficult to give a good answer to. How do you establish credit if you've never had any? Or how do you, if you've had a problem with credit in the past, how do you reestablish credit? Well, I've talked over the years about secured cards and the pitfalls that can come with them, a secured card where you're issued a Visa or MasterCard, but you have to put money up on deposit. And many times, it's unsavory characters that offer those secured cards with fee on top of fee on top of fee. And then I've talked about how some credit unions, hit or miss, offer what are known as fresh start programs that allow you, if you're a member of that credit union or you join it, you're able to get a Visa or MasterCard 
as long as you have money on deposit, certain amount on deposit in the credit union, and it's a real credit card, reported the Bureau is like a real card from the very beginning. Well, you may not have a credit union available to you. You may not have the ability to do that. And I want you to avoid the bear trap of the sleazy secured card operators. So now there's a new way for you to establish credit, and it's called selflender.com. Selflender.com. And as best I can tell, looking through everything about it, looking at their terms of service, their frequently asked questions, I think this is the real deal. So the way it works, you don't even have to have a credit score yet. You put money on deposit with them, and they pay you virtually no interest at all. They pay you uh, like a tiny fraction of a percent interest on the money you put on deposit. And they pay about what the giant monster mega banks pay on savings. But then you also borrow money from them, and you borrow money at roughly 10% interest. So you don't have to put much money on deposit with them. You don't have to borrow much. Typically, it has to be somewhere around 500 or so dollars. And so your cost per year for doing this ends up being right about $50. But when the year is up, they will have been reporting your on-time payments on the small loan to the credit bureaus, and you will end that year with a new line of credit having been established, a good payment record on that line of credit, and for that interest cost of roughly $50, you will have established for the first time maybe a credit identity with a good credit score. They also allow you to continually monitor your credit, and that's free as part of it. And so you're able to see, as you make those payments on time every month, that you're establishing that credit history and what's happening with your score. So there is no perfect way for you to initially establish credit, but this looks like a low-cost way, and a legit way for you to build that credit. Again, the website is selflender.com. And if you have any experience with it, good or bad, I'd love to hear from you. Mary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mary. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. And congratulations to you. You have just retired. I have, and um, I'm excited about that. Well, how can I be of help? Well, my question is, because I have worked, I've always had life insurance through my company. And now that I'm responsible myself, I'm not sure what the difference between term life and whole life is. And I want to go into this informed so I know what to do. Well, wonderful questions you're asking. First, what's your purpose and need for life insurance? I don't want to leave my husband or my my grown children to deal with my funeral expenses. Well, how sweet are you to say that? The reality is that often 
the cost of a funeral is not large enough that you need to think about buying life insurance for that purpose. Okay. What kind of savings do you have? Well, right now we've got about 50000 in savings, and then I also have a retirement through the state. That so I can, so you, that that's I, going to provide you a decent income month after month. So Yes. You have enough on hand to not have to feel that you're going to be a burden on anybody with your okay. funeral expenses. And the purpose of buying insurance is if your husband was going to need replacement of income, but does he get a continuation of the pension if you were to die before he does? Oh, yes, he's, he's all right. Okay, so as long as he's financially secure, you living or uh, are you not, then there's not a need for replacement of income for insurance. And okay. as far as a funeral, funerals don't have to be phenomenally expensive. They can be very affordable. So how much are you thinking your funeral's going to cost? Well, I, my husband and I have decided that we would just do a basic cremation with a, a memorial service of some sort. Nothing, nothing extravagant. Those can be extremely inexpensive. You won't be creating any burden on each other or for your kids. So, again, there'd be no reason to look at life insurance. I don't know if you ever heard me talk about going to the website funerals.org. No, I haven't, but I will look at that. Because you can go there and you can join a co-op near you. And with the co-op, you're able to get extremely inexpensive Things like cremations or burials. You can do funerals at generally a fourth Mm -hmm. of what they would cost otherwise by being a member of the co-op. So it doesn't have to be a pricey thing at all. Some of the co-ops, the way they generally work is you pay a a membership fee that tends to be $25, $30, $50, something like that, and that's a lifetime fee. And then that makes you eligible for the the um, group buying power, if you will, of being able to get a very affordable cremation or if you want the full meal deal, get that. Okay. And so if you go to funerals.org, you can see if there is a memorial society near you, a co-op near you, that you could join and then you'd even have less worry about what kind of cost or burden you would create. That sounds great. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, and congratulations on your retirement. Oh, thank you. Okay. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Anita's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Anita. How are you? Hey, Clark. I'm doing good. How are you? Great. Thank you. Anita, you have found a junk fee that has got you steamed. Is that true? That is correct. What's going on? Well, I'm in real estate, Clark, and I've had a number of closings um, over the last couple of months where if it's resale, I'm starting to see where the HOA is charging a rather large $1,000 transfer fee to the buyers. And this is in addition to them already paying perhaps an initiation fee and their first year's worth of HOA dues, and in some cases, that um, closing letter. So this junk fee is very controversial across America and is something that 
has, let me tell you the worst situations with it. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, there are some jurisdictions that are allowing the developer of a new neighborhood to charge in what they call in perpetuity forever. They're able to charge every time a property changes hands a transfer fee that goes back to the original developer and it can be many thousands of dollars what the developer does is let's say he or she has to come in and they've got to uh, put in utilities pave the streets all that that's a massive upfront cost before the first home can be built and occupied mm-hmm. so banks will lend construction money to a developer to do all the infrastructure if they can tie it in to a fee in perpetuity that happens at every time. And it is an ugly thing that can even cause a a sale to sour because somebody wasn't prepared or wasn't aware that they were going to have to pay a multi-thousand dollar fee. Now, as for the HOAs that just make it up and come up with their own fee for transfer, it depends on the laws in a state and how the fee was adopted, whether or not it's even legal for that transfer fee. Okay. Nobody ever really fights it, though, because all they're trying to do is get the sale done, and the $1,000 is just looked at as a nuisance. Mm-hmm. So you're fired up. Has it made any deals fall apart for you? It's come close to it. In one case, we didn't find out about it until the day of closing because, of course, sometimes you don't get closing docs early enough. And so the buyer wound up paying for it. And the next time I saw it, it was a day or two before closing, and I had to negotiate really strongly to get the seller to pay for it. And was the seller even aware that there was that junk fee? They said that they weren't. And, you know, I I have to believe them. I don't have any reason to think otherwise. I believe them, too. I believe this is one of those things that's just that's just happening that mm-hmm. people are not being made aware of. That's right. And you know what the benefit is of that junk fee? Mm-mm. <laughs> There's not one. Yeah, it lines the pockets of the HOAs. Well, the HOAs sometimes want to stay popular with the residents. They mm-hmm. don't want to have to raise the monthly dues or quarterly dues. So they figure, hey, why don't we charge people who aren't going to be part of us anymore? And so it's essentially an exit fee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, it depends on its circumstantial, depending on each state, whether these fees being imposed are actually really legal. Okay. And it depends on somebody coming forward. Usually it needs to be somebody who's a lawyer who's on either side of the transaction who can absorb the cost of he or she filing their own suit and fighting it for these things to be challenged. Okay. But you're fired up for a reason. They're nuisance fees mm-hmm. with no legitimate reason to exist. Right. So and, you know what advice I, I think we can both give right now? Tell me. It's one additional thing that if you're out looking for a home, mm-hmm. you've got to know to ask. Mm-hmm. Particularly if it could be something in the range of five grand, which it can be in many cases. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we need some lawyer to get fired up over this kind of thing and go hit up the courts because there's no excuse for these ownership transfer junk fees. 
Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Amanda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Amanda. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. I'm doing pretty well. Amanda, you are in one of the smartest professions to be in right now. You are a registered nurse. Yes. Has it been great? It's been a whirlwind, that's for sure. <laughs> you think you're a lifer in it? Um, yeah, I would say so. Great. Are you going to end up going back to school to be an NP, or are you going to stay at an RN? Probably eventually, but I just want to get some experience under my belt first. So. Okay. Well, how can I serve you? Well, I am just looking into planning for my retirement. I do have a 401k right now that I started when I started my current job, and I've been there about a year and a half. Okay, Um, wait, 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 wait. So when you were 21, or maybe just turned 22, you were already motivated to pile money into a 401k? Yes. You know that makes you a very, very rare and an unusual person in a very great way. Okay. <laughs> it's fantastic that you did that at 22 years old. Well, I want to prepare myself. <laughs> yeah, but you're going to do more than prepare. You're going to be wealthy. Is that okay? That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, you will. If you keep that up and you save, if you can get to where you're saving in your 20s, at least a dime of every dollar you make, and if you step it up beyond that dime, you are going to be wealthy. Okay. So, but you need some guidance with doing that? Yeah. So, investing in my 401k right now, like 9% is what I'm putting in, but I, I'm lucky enough that I don't have student loans and I just want to invest more. And I was talking to my parents about doing like a Roth IRA and I just don't know like which company to go through. Should I... Well, I, ha- I have a list of my favorite companies for you to do a Roth IRA with on Clark.com, mm-hmm. but I want to dial back for a second to the 401k. Does your okay. employer offer you the option of something known as a Roth 401k? I am not sure. <laughs> All right. Ask that question of the plan administrator. There's probably an 800 number you can call. Okay. And if you have the option of a Roth 401k, just convert what you're contributing to your 401k into a Roth. It'll be then post-tax dollars instead of pre-tax. And okay. it will effectively have raised the percent of your pay you're saving from 9% to more like 13%. It'll take more of a chunk out of your check because you'll be using post-tax dollars. Mm-hmm. But then that money will never be taxed. Okay. Everything you earn on it. And you've got 40 years for that money to grow and then ultimately be spent tax-free. But if mm-hmm. you do decide, if you only have an option of the traditional 401k, you want to pop money into the Roth IRA, you're just making me so happy I can't even begin to tell you. Go okay. look at my investment guide on Clark.com. I've okay. got both companies that I like for you to look at and the specific investments you should look at with those companies with money you'd put in a Roth IRA. Okay. And you, if you do the 9% you're doing in the 401k and slap several thousand dollars a year in the Roth, what I said to you will come true. You will be wealthy. Okay. And I, I just am so thankful to, I assume your parents taught yeah. you the values of, of being a saver. 
certainly. <laughs> and it's going to pay off for you in just time after time in your life that you are living on less than what you make and you're building a solid financial future and you're in a career, Amanda, as an RN, where the income earning opportunities are excellent as well. Good for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so that you can save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. Clark.com is our web address. If you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. Plus, you can get advice off the air for free, nine hours a day, Monday through Friday. And you can see how to do that when you go to Clark.com. About halfway down the home screen, you'll see how to get free off-the-air advice from a member of Team Clark. Coming up in a half hour, the way you buy furniture is going through a major transition in the United States. And it comes with benefits and pitfalls, but especially it's friendlier to your wallet. I want to tell you what's going on and how to play the furniture game now in the United States. I want to talk about a window of opportunity for you. The automakers flat out made too many cars the first half of this year. Way too many. When I say cars, I mean vehicles. Of various types and the market is way oversupplied at the same time we've been through five years consecutive of record or near record selling paces on cars and we've pretty much sated the the pent-up demand for vehicles in the u.s then you throw on top of it Lenders are seeing a big increase in delinquencies on car loans. And so they're cutting back, restricting more on lending for cars. Then piling on, the number of vehicles being returned from leases this year is way up. So there's a window right now. Automakers are starting to lay people off. They're starting to slow production. And so they'll get supply and demand back into balance later this year, likely. But right now, we're in an unusual window. We're moving into what's normally the peak selling season for vehicles. And instead, this year, it's going to be the peak bargain season with great deals available 
on this massive oversupply of vehicles, especially passenger cars, and the huge oversupply of three-year-old cars is leading to great deals on used cars as well. I was trying to think about, before I went on the air today, when the last time was that the stars were this well aligned for you as a buyer, and as best I could recall, it was either the fall of 2001 or maybe late in 2008. You know, every so often, there will be a cycle in the car business that's extra favorable to you as an either new or used car buyer. And right now, it's both new and used vehicle buyers have opportunity knocking. And remember, it's because of the fact that there are people who just can't handle buying a vehicle right now or can't get financing for it. If you're in a position where it makes sense in your life to look at new or used and to buy something, this is a sweet time for your wallet. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Paul. Hi, how are you doing? Great, thank you, Paul. You are about to be a college graduate. Yes, sir. Congratulations. Thanks. What are you getting your degree in? Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. Are you going to go to Washington and be another politician? Actually, actually no. Um, I actually ended up getting a full-time job in the in the town where my college is, so I'll be uh, staying around for at least another year or maybe a little more. Well, I don't know if you know my backstory, but my undergraduate degree was a political science degree. Oh, wow. And I always thought I was going to, I mean, I didn't think, I knew that I was going to run for public office from a very young age, and I've never done it, and I've, I've never been anywhere near politics since then, since I finished my degree. I ended up going on and getting a master's in business, and I've discovered that business was my first love. That's great. So um, congratulations on graduating soon. How can I be of help to you? Well, I was wondering, um, so about February or March, I opened up a Roth IRA uh, for the first time. Wait, wait, wait. How old are you? I turned 22 in January. All right, Paul, this is not normal, but it's great not normal. How did you get motivated to open a Roth IRA while you were still in school? I hope you're working part-time because you got to have that part to it. Yes, yes. Um, well, a job I had in my senior year of high school, one of the managers suggested a Roth IRA, and so I remembered that uh, over the few years since then, and so I decided to look into it for a few years and then started one up. Well, it's fantastic because when you keep putting money away in your 20s like you're doing, you end up independently wealthy down the road because the time value of putting money aside in your 20s allows that money to grow on itself so many times over that you'll end up being in a position, if you wish, to retire very early or have the freedom to do what you want to later in your life. Great. How can I be of help with this? So I read an article online from, I think, a reputable either company or website, and it was an article by a guy who was a part of a 
investment firm, he talked about the 10 best stocks for the next 10 years and was saying, you know, it's not general that you would uh, get a stock for a long term, but some of the stocks he mentioned, one of them, he called it a multi-generational stock and that one that he wanted to pass down to his kids. And I was just wondering if there's any stocks that you would, stocks you would consider multi-generational or if I should stay away from that kind of thing. I should tell you that I have a, a very opposite philosophy to what you're relating because my thing is that the core of what you should be about is having your money instead of spread out in 10 stocks, have it spread out in many thousands of stocks. I'm a big believer that you build the base of your financial future with index funds or something that behaves like index funds where you own many, many thousands of companies because ultimately wealth flows to owners. The problem with owning too few individual stocks is that what if you're wrong, you got too many of your dollars bet on too few companies where I believe that the advantage of capitalism is that over time capitalism creates larger and larger economies and ultimately creates wealth for the owners of the enterprises. But many businesses will fail, others will succeed, some will be huge home runs. So for me, I always start with someone at 22 years old going into a target retirement fund, a very, very dull way to invest. You simply pick a year like 2060 and put all your money that you'd be putting into a Roth in a 2060 fund. Okay. And that way you're fully diversified and the managers over the next 40 years, 45 years, will steadily adjust what you're invested in based on your age. And then once you've built a solid base, if you then from there want to start buying individual stocks, what Charles Schwab always called core and explore, that you start with the core and then you explore, then have fun buying individual stocks, but take care of the base first. And I have recommendations about what those base investments should be that I love on my investment guide at Clark.com. And congratulations to you again for being so focused on the future in your early 20s. Angela is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angela. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. You have a question about your student loans. Yes. I owed $104,000 through a private bank. Over the last six years, I've been able to pay down to $54,000. Oh, man, you are my hero of the day. Thank you. But it's really depressing. Like, I do I just suck it up and keep paying? Yes. And yeah. Yeah, especially if they're private loans, there is no way out. No. So the good news is now that you've cut the balance roughly in half, the interest carry going forward has less and less an effect where more of every dollar you pay is going straight to the loan balance rather than to interest. Correct. So you should feel so proud of yourself Thank that you. you you attacked a mountain, a Mount Everest, that yeah. most people would be defeated by, and instead, you're chopping that mountain down to size. Yeah. 
So I, I wouldn't be discouraged. I'd be proud. Okay. All right. Thanks. And so the question I always ask when somebody has north of a hundred grand student loan debt, or you had, was the degree worth the cost? Well, I actually, I technically didn't get a degree. I ended up getting my RN diploma through a hospital program. So I still have to go back to school and get my bachelor's. Okay, but you are an RN being paid as an RN. Yeah, yeah. Does the medical center you work for have any program where for longevity, they will pay part of your student loans off? I actually haven't looked into that. Oh, ask that question. Sorry? I was actually looking into the military as oh. an option. Well, the medical center, you are, you're at a traditional medical center? It's a small community hospital. They may have a program for retention where for you staying for a period of time that they will extinguish some of that student loan debt for you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And these are, I want to clarify, these are all private loans, not federal loans? Correct. They're all private. Okay, because if they were federal, you would have forgiveness coming from the feds because of your public service profession. But the hospital may be your best bet to have relief from some of that remaining 54000 Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Tom is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm good. I've got a business that I've been running for over 30 years, and it's been incorporated for 15 years or so. Now, when you go online and punch in my business number, you come up with a competitor's name or a competitor's business, and the only difference between my name and what's on their website is they've added an A before my name, and they don't have that incorporated after it. Go after them. Well, I was going to, my lawyer's out of town right now, but I talked to him before he went, and he said he'd be happy to send a mean lawyer letter. You send a, a cease and desist letter. Right. And the way it works is that depending on who you're dealing with at the other end receiving that letter, they either will say, ah, well, it was nice while it lasted, and they'll go ahead and change their listing so that they're not conflicting with you, or they may think, uh, well, Tom's not really going to do anything. He just paid somebody to send a letter, and he's going away. You can't. You spent all these years building up your trade name, and you can't take a chance that somebody else using your name is going to mess with you. And if this person does not cease from using your name, then that's when you get into some real expense. I had to do this once, Tom, when I was when I had my travel agency business. Mm-hmm. There was somebody who started trading on my name, like you're talking about, and they did not respond to the cease and desist letter. So we had to go get it with someone as a CDO. We had to go get a, a cease and desist order requiring them to stop using the name. And do you know if you do not defend your name, you'll lose your rights to protect it. Okay, so I'm sure my lawyer can figure this out, how to go to the judge and get the order or whatever, if if it comes to that. But that's not the first stage. The first stage is the letter, and you give the person, and the tone of the letter does not have to be fighting words. Right. But the tone of the letter should be clear. They need to stop using your name. Like I said, they they put A in front of my business name. So can they just say it's a, it's a different name, or is that, is that 
still close enough. No, I mean, that that's the whole thing. They're trying to be too cute. Think about if I come along and I want to confuse people and I start selling a soft drink that looks just like a Coca-Cola and I call it be Coca-Cola or, or something or put an extra C in front of it or whatever and use a logo like theirs. How long do you think it would be before their lawyers are on me? Right, right. Problem is Coca-Cola's got a lot of lawyers. Right. On staff, and, that's why I'm saying for you, it's it's not as easy as it is for them, but you have to protect your name. Follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. Right now, we're going to go to Ask Clark. We have a zillion of them there, and I got to do a better job getting to them. Joel, what you got? Uh, Victor has a question for you, Clark. He says, I'm thinking about getting solar. The solar company would finance 100% of the project at a 5.5% interest rate for 30 years. Total cost of the job is about $40,000. It would save us about $200 to $250 a month in electricity. Does this make sense? We could use the savings, but we'd also be incurring more debt. Yeah, I'm not happy about the numbers you just presented to me at all. 40000 for a solar install? This is for a house, not an office building? Yeah, it sounds like a house. I think you need to go get more quotes. That sounds way out of line for the install at your house. Uh, I mean, I, maybe you're in a house the size of an office building. We have a pretty large house, and let me tell you, our install is not that kind of money. Uh, so I think you got to go do more work. Taking on that level of additional debt, financing it for that long a period of time, I'm uncomfortable with you taking on that obligation and the savings they're promising on energy what happens if it doesn't deliver at that amount of dollars per month you're still stuck with the solar install i think you got to get more companies in get a better feel for what a real true price is to install solar where you live today on geffen playhouse unscripted we are joined by actor producer director author (laughs) what else can you do brian cranston i sweep floors you do. And I load a dishwasher really, really well. Do you unload it? Not too many. Okay. <laughs> we could give you a job in our the house. The talent is loading it, not unloading. No, the talent is buying the dishes that fit together and not the dishes that I buy that don't fit in the dishwasher. Well, I could teach you how they can fit. Okay, uh, Brian, right. thank you. That's Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Be sure to listen on Podcast One or through the Podcast One app and Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. So glad to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. And you got a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask. And our deal site, is booming clarkdeals.com you know it's natural and normal that if you're a listener to me you are price oriented and that's why our deal site has grown so quickly and so i want to always make sure i tell you the trends in deals and one of the trends that has proven me wrong 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 is I was one of those people who said that furniture shopping online would never really be a thing. There would never really be anything but a peripheral kind of activity 
because I believe that because of the size of furniture and the weight of it, the bulkiness of it, that the economics would not work for it to be a big online purchase. And I am being proven way wrong. And probably no one more than Wayfair has pointed in the direction things are going. If you've never looked at Wayfair.com, W-A-Y-F-A-I-R, they are becoming a bigger and bigger influence in furniture and accessories. One that my producer Joel loves is Joybird, J-O-Y-B-I-R-D. And Amazon is now poking around selling furniture online. And Ikea, who knew Ikea would be able to manage a transition to selling online? Because everything about them was having the big warehouse stores that were self-serve. You come in, you pick out an item, you go into the pickup area, pick up your item, cart it home. Well, apparently there are a lot of people who like the IKEA products, like the IKEA selection, but hate the IKEA shopping experience and have been very willing to transition to buying at IKEA.com instead of going to the store. So suddenly there's so much competition in online that this is a time you're going to find deals buying online and try multiple sources i think ultimately though with furniture the people that are going to prove to be most successful are those that have some kind of showroom ability where you can see the furniture to then buy it online but you want to know the ultimate deal on furniture buy furniture used Furniture after it's bought holds no value. No value. You can furnish. I remember I bought an entire house of furniture used years ago. Everything I needed for under $1,500. I furnished a two-bedroom house. Because used furniture, a lot of it, people are just trying to get rid of it. And they'll take almost anything for it. And the best place typically to find it is going to be, I know, I know, be careful, Craigslist, or to buy it in one of these Facebook groups that served specific geographic areas. My wife and I recently bought a magnificent antique piece of furniture for $700 that in an antique store, somebody not buying it new, but buying it as an antique, that an antique dealer would have located uh, this piece in Europe, would have gone for many, many, many thousands of dollars. But once somebody's bought it in the used market, it's just not going to hold value. And the areas that hold value the least, dining rooms, because nobody really has dining rooms anymore. So if you have one in your house, there are so many people trying to get rid of 
formal dining room furniture, and formal living room furniture goes for like nothing. The third category, kids' furniture. Kids' furniture isn't generally made that well to start with, and when your kids outgrow kids' furniture, it goes for pennies on the dollar. That's a great way to buy the stuff. Whitney's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Whitney. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? We're doing great. Pleasure to speak with you. Well, congratulations to you. You're getting ready to buy a home? We're hoping to. Great. Is this your first home? We owned a home a few years ago, and then uh, we had to move for work, and uh, and we've rented for a few years just to kind of know the area a little better, and now we're thinking it's, uh, we're going to be here for long term, and we, we feel like it'd be best to purchase a home. Well, great. How can I be of service with that? Well, we've always been an opponent of uh, if you can't afford the 20% down, you can't afford the home, but then since our situation's changed a little bit, now we're thinking, well, I'd like your advice, and we... Uh, Pretty much spent our savings on uh, on some adoptions, and the Lord's blessed us with some great boys. Now my wife is staying at home, and she, she worked out of the home for the first few years of our marriage, and we worked hard to be debt-free, so we owe nothing, but now she stays at home with her boys. Well, congratulations. So How old are the boys? Uh, the oldest is two, and the youngest just turned five months. That's a lot to deal with. <laughs> She's very busy. <laughs> I bet she is. So... Right now, you want to buy this home. You've got the expenses of two adopted children. Are you not in a position to do any down payment now, or where are you on that scale? We could a, a small down payment. We've got you know emergency funds saved, and uh, I can get a VA loan you know for zero down if we wanted to go that route. But then, of course, we have to pay the points or the fee. And so I'm just not sure, you know, should we keep renting? We rent a place that's 1250 a month, but it's a place with land. And I, earn, yeah, I train horses and I earn some income that way also. And so it's, you know, I can't just go buy any home. I have to find a few acres, you know, where we can continue to do that. Sure. So if you were to buy a home right now, let's say you do a VA loan and you do 100% financing, What's your monthly payment likely to be versus the twelve fifty you're paying now? We're trying to keep it about the same. Okay, so and how long do you think you'll stay in the area that you would buy the home in? We, I mean, we don't see you moving in the near future at any time. I mean, then in that case, I think it makes perfect sense to buy a home, especially if you can keep the payment roughly in the same range as what you're paying in rent. You okay. have that sense of permanence; it's your place. You earn that VA benefit, and thank you for your service to our country. You're welcome. And so I think that the fact that you're not in the position of what you would have liked to have done, which is to pay 20% down, but you're living your life with no debt at all, single income, two little babies, I think in your case, using the VA benefit would be fine to do. Because it's not like you're calling me saying, you know, we owe money for this. We owe money for that. We owe money for these three other things. That's not who you are. Right. So you're able to fix your housing costs and keep it where you already are. I think you do it. Right. If you told me, on the other hand, I just want to make sure someone listening to you and me hears this part loud and clear. If you told me that you might move in a few years' time, three, four, five years, I would tell you to keep renting. Right. But because this is where you want to set down roots... I'd grab that. And again, congratulations on your two boys. Stephanie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Stephanie. 
Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Stephanie. How can I serve you? We're trying to purchase a car probably this coming weekend. We're questioning whether or not we should lease or we should buy because we drive, or it's my boyfriend, he drives a lot. He probably drives about 500 miles a week. 26,000 miles a year? Yes. Okay. I'll tell you something crazy (laughs) for him. Definitely don't lease. Okay. But my favorite for somebody who drives more than 20,000 miles a year mm-hmm. is to buy a three-year-old car. Okay. Reason is, in the first three years, the typical driver may put mileage on a car just about what he'd put on in 15 months. Right. So he gets a nearly new car, but at a significant discount from what a new one would be. Okay. And then that brings the monthly payments down much closer to what a lease payment would be. But then okay. you don't have to worry about over mileage, and he can drive it till the wheels fall off. That's the best use of his money possible, is right. to buy something right about three years to four years old. Okay. Because the dealer told us that if, you know, if we did a 20,000 miles per year lease, and he... You know, he did a three-year lease, so it gives him 60,000 miles, and he gets to that 60,000 miles within, like, two and a half years. All he has to do is bring the car in and trade it in for something else. (laughs) You ever been around a bunch of cows in a field? No. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, it can really start to have a real stank to it. That has a real stank. Okay. Don't believe that story. I can't say on a family radio show what that actually was that the salesperson told him. Eva's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Eva. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You have a question as a landlord. I know. I'm I'm a partially new landlord. This is my second rental property, and I take possession of it at the end of the week. Congratulations. Um, thank you. My property is a duplex, and it comes with one tenant. And so my question is to you, should I or how do I get her to sign a rental agreement? Is she under a lease from the prior owner of the property? No, it expired several years ago. So she's a month to month. She is. And that's what I would want to continue, but just with my version. Right. So if she is a month to month tenant, you have the option and normally even as a month to month Depending on the laws of a state, usually you would have to give her 60 days notice that you would want her to vacate. But you also have the right as a new owner of the property, with her being month to month, to say, I want to introduce myself. I'm your new landlord. Have you met her yet? Well, so here's the other twist. I used to live next door, and I actually own the house next door. So I casually know her. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so... You say, so now been, I'm more than your next door neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you tell yeah. her, you just tell her that you'd love for her to stay, but that you need for her to sign your lease. And how are you coming up with the lease you're going to have her use? Is it based on um, the one you use in your other property? Well, sort of. It's easy. easy. Can I say the name? Sorry. Sure. It's easy landlords. Yeah. Okay. So you have... Because it does my state-specific information. Perfect. So you just tell her uh, you're not imposing any conditions that are going to freak her out, are you? Possibly, yes. Oh, you are imposing some that will freak her out. (laughs) Well, Um, then uh, that is your right. 
and then it'll be her right to say, well, you know, if this is how you want to do it, I want to move out. Right. So that is your choice. But all you have to do, because she's month to month, and you're inheriting her, is you just tell her, I need for you to sign this lease, and then she can negotiate with you or she can bolt. Is there a time frame that I can require her to meet with me? Because I'm kind of concerned she's dodged a couple of my phone calls. If you have the sense that she's avoiding you like the plague, send her a note and keep the note friendly. Don't do any kind of lawyerish kind of letter. Don't do anything in tone that is cold or unfriendly. And if you're, I can't do this because my handwriting is atrocious. Nobody would be able to read (laughs) what I wrote. But if you have nice handwriting, it's always in a situation like this, nice if you can write a handwritten note and just say you're looking so forward to her being your tenant and you've been trying to reach her here are the things you need to discuss okay and then if she continues to avoid you then it's not friendly anymore and you've got more work to do okay and you might at that point just want to tell her she needs to vacate right that's because kind of where i was leaning because if she starts off avoiding you because of whatever reason that's no way for you to deal with somebody who's next door in a property that you own. Yeah, exactly. So start off friendly and then just amp it up. Okay. Thank okay. you. All right. Best of luck. And I love it. You're on the path to being a real estate mogul. Joel, hit me with an Ask Clark that someone's posted at ClarkHoward.com. All right, Clark, this one's a little different. We got an interesting email from Mary Jo, and it starts off like this. She says, how are you doing? Sorry for any inconvenience. I'm in a terrible situation. I'm stranded here in Manila, Philippines since last night. I was beaten and robbed on the way to the hotel that I I was staying in, and my luggage is still in custody of the hotel management, pending that I make the payment on the outstanding bills I owe. I'm waiting for my colleague to send me money to get back home. And I think, Clark, you might be able to understand where that one's going. All right. So let me tell you what this is. This is a scam. Mary Jo actually was someone who had posted an Ask Clark sometime in the last year. Her email was hacked, and every single person who she had communicated with through her email likely received this same thing saying that she was stranded in Manila in the Philippines and had been beaten, all her money had been taken, and all that stuff. And it is just another version of the what's known as the grandparent scam, where you're hit with a real sense of urgency from someone that you know, but it's not actually from them, and they're pleading for an initial, an immediate wiring of funds most often. And it is not real. Today, if somebody was, in fact, in a tough situation, they would likely call you from wherever they are on Earth. But if they did send an email, it would not be something that is the same exact email that would go to hundreds of people or however many people are in your email list. If you receive a phone call, though, know that someone calling you may be pretending to be a relative and trying to get money because they are in trouble somewhere. And so you have to be careful with that, too. Simply put, the criminals have become very, very clever at coming up with a way to try to get into your wallet and take advantage. Be very careful ever replying to an email. What I've said when you receive an email like this 
is if it's somebody you know, call that individual. And often you'll find they're right where they're supposed to be, right in your hometown or wherever they live, and they are not in Asia or wherever else in the world that it's been said to you that they are urgently in distress. You know, a lot of times a relative or a good friend will just hop to it and they will go without really thinking it through and send money right away. And I got to tell you, it's not going to generate any money for you crooks sending it to ask Clark. We're not going to send you any ill-gotten gains. So try to find the next person to rip off. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Heather Dubrow. And I'm Dr. Terry Dubrow. Every Friday, check out my podcast, Heather Dubrow's World. We also have a brand new show, The Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig Show, every Tuesday. So don't forget iTunes and Podcast One. Tune in to Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig on Tuesdays and Heather Dubrow's World every Friday. Trump's son-in-law, Montana election. I'm Tim McGuire with an AP News Minute. The Washington Post reports FBI is investigating meetings that President Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, had with Russian officials. He met late last year with Russia's ambassador to the U.S. and a Russian banker. Greg Gianforti, the Republican candidate in today's special congressional election in Montana, remains out of the public a day after he allegedly body-slammed a reporter at his campaign headquarters. Gallatin County Sheriff Brian Goodkin explains why GM40 was not taken into custody. NATO members must find. And in the NBA playoffs, Cleveland with a 3-1 to edge in the Eastern Conference Final leads Boston 64-45 late in the second quarter. In the NHL Eastern Final, Pittsburgh and Ottawa are tied at a goal each in the second period. Tonight's winner goes on to the Stanley Cup Final against Nashville. I'm Tim McGuire.